Come and dream with me. This Version Network's premier movie podcast. Every week we get together to talk about movies, TV, and online content. Help you answer the question When will Martin Scorsese stop trolling these comic book fanboys? Not anytime soon. I'm your host, Ashley Hopley. Join me today, Dylan Blight. Hopefully, he doesn't. I love it. So, no. keep the comic books out your damn mouth. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Haven't us comic book fans got it hard enough? Yeah. Our movies are all number one at the box office most of the time. How dare he? <laughs> well, not this year. They're not number one. Yeah, yeah good. They're dying, you know? It's picking on, picking on us when we're all dying. It's interesting. It has been interesting. You know, like, obviously, you had the big profile coming out this week. And just people, everybody picking apart anything they could be wrong with. <laughs> Well, he, doesn't, he he wouldn't usually do I feel like he's doing more press because no actors can. Yes, probably. So he's doing more in the lead up to Killer Moon, yeah. Yes. So he's doing these like long form things like was that the vulture thing? No, I can't remember. Was it? I don't know. It was something like that, like a look yeah. a retrospective. I want to watch the full thing. I've only seen the clips on Twitter. I definitely want to watch the, the the full thing. Um but I feel like usually that sort of video is actors looking back on their most famous roles. Yeah. They usually do it. Like I feel like if I feel like he wouldn't be doing as many interviews and stuff at the moment if they had Leo. And really, I don't think Leo Leo doesn't really do much press either. So how about Bob? Bob does. Yeah, or stick Jesse Plemons or yeah, those people do. So yeah, I feel like he's definitely doing more because of that though. Absolutely, and he's taking every opportunity to talk shit about. <laughs> I don't feel he's talking shit. I feel no, like it was a GQ profile. That's what it was picking apart. So, um, yeah. I don't think he said. I oh, know. Is this actually a new story, or do you want to talk about it now? No, this is a new story. Just... All right. Well, I just, like my two cents on this. Everyone again got upset over nothing. Yes, he got upset. Uh, last time he said these sorts of things, people got upset for some reason. They have no reason to be upset currently. Because they're, they're no super defensive. Be last time. They have no reason to be defensive. I don't think he says anything that's wrong. All he's doing is saying... Like, I don't even feel like he's talking bad about superhero movies. He's just so- talking about how, like, it's a bubble and they're not... Um, like, he's not saying superhero movies are bad. He's just saying that if people only go to the movies to watch superhero movies, it's just a bubble that's going to burst and it's not actually good for cinema. Hmm. You know? All right, on today's episode, we'll talk about what's in our watch history, go over some film news, give some thumbs to trailers, and give you this week's top three. I'll kick things off. Last night, I was at a screening of one of our most anticipated films of the year, The Creator, directed by Gareth Edwards, whose last film was Rogue One. Before that was Godzilla. Um, It's like seven years since Rogue One, which is crazy. It's like one of the... uh, most exciting young directors, I guess, coming through in a period okay. on big budgets. Just before stuff. I continue, I've got a quick question, and I presume I yeah. know the answer to this, but you've never seen Monster, right? No, I've not seen Monster. Or Monsters, or whatever the hell Monsters. Yeah. Um, because this, to me, from the get-go, the moment I began reading about and hearing he was doing this, I was like, cool, he's back to his roots. Because his roots were, I remember reading about that film, and I was so fucking excited to watch it, 
reading about this film, it's like a director with a visual effects background just sent out and fucking made a movie and did all the effects himself. And like, I remember reading about it, just thinking this thing is going to be like such the coolest sounding, like sort of grassroots thing. And then everyone's been talking about this movie when the first screenings happened in, uh, in America last week, talking about how it's that same sort like it's bigger budget, but it's, it's him doing that again. Like he's, he's, he's back to that sort of thing. So yeah. anyway, yeah. you should go watch that movie. It's very good. Okay. Uh, yeah. So this one stars, uh, John David Washington, uh, Gemma Chan, Ken Watanabe, Sturgill Simpson, uh, and Alison Janney <laughs> in a against type role, as well as newcomer, Madeline Univolas. Uh, so, John Do- David Washington plays a former Special Forces agent who, well, so it's set in the future in a world in which robots uh, have been developed, advanced AI technology has been built. Um, they've gotten to the point where they've got like synths, I guess, um, who are robots with human faces and that kind of stuff with like hollow heads and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then AI. It's believed that AI set off a nuclear bomb in Los Angeles. Uh, and then from that point, there's a war between America <laughs> and uh, the AI and New Asia, who don't think there's anything wrong with the AI and like are kind of harboring them, uh, letting them live peacefully amongst them. Um, so those two factions are at war. John David Washington plays Joshua, a special forces agent for the. United States, who goes undercover in New Asia to try and find Namata, who is the who is regarded by the AI technology as the creator, as the the uh, I don't know, as a holy figure, um, and he's tasked to try and find Namata. Um, but that undercover mission goes pear shaped, um, resulting in the death of his wife and a whole bunch of other stuff. Cut forward like five years. And the U.S. government recruit him again to try and find this big weapon that they think the AI is developing, um, that would take out all their, their. They've got this massive orbital spaceship called Nomad, which is like coming out of the movie. It's a fucking Death Star. It's like <laughs> it's like you can it target. You can drop missiles anywhere. It's like big, massive, like targeting like it's a it's a death star crossed with the helicarrier kind of thing um it's what happened if <laughs> what happened if hydra won at the end of mission uh captain america the winter soldier that kind of thing um yeah joshua was recruited to go on a mission to find this uh weapon uh turns out the weapon is a robot child uh and then you know Things happen. It it turns into the genre that we all love. Reluctant man travels child across the country. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, it is a visually super impressive film. Obviously, him uh, teaming back up with uh, Fraser, Greg Fraser, uh, as well as uh, Oren Soffer. Um, it is one of the most visually interesting and unique movies. Well, maybe not unique. It is the most one of the best looking movies this year. I think uh, definitely deserves to be watched on the big screen. Obviously, there is so much practical elements of this movie. Like obviously, the shot in Cambodia and that kind of stuff. So you got like the Asian countryside and that kind of stuff. Like lots of really impressive sets. Um, 
apparently they shot inside like some like high-end like supercomputer facility uh for that kind of stuff um but then all the robot elements are like really cool and like well they're not all the same they've got different variants of different robots and um that's all really cool um yeah there's just a lot of ideas thrown in here um just a yeah a lot of uh, it's a very very interesting world that i feel you don't get enough time to live in or experience because it is only a two hour 15 minute movie and the world is there but you also got focused on this solo story of this man just kind of seeking redemption or like that kind of stuff um but that i mean that's really good it's just like maybe we're at the point where we're like super uh greedy and like want more of everything that's kind of my reaction coming out of it but um yeah i found it super engaging uh john david washington's fantastic uh the little kid is really good uh in her for her performance um yeah allison janney plays like a general who's part of like the the special forces unit very against hype like when you think of allison janney you think of uh in my mind i think juno or her sitcom work on mark moore um or i don't know her on the west wing but this is like uh it's like she's playing the stephen lang role from avatar really <laughs> it's kind of weird uh but also really cool um but yeah there's a lot of ideas that are introduced um they do a really good job of like getting up to speed at the start of the movie i think that's like super impressive um like the way they kind of like build up the world like in, like five ten minutes of like you're explaining the history of everything um and getting to the point of starting the movie um it just kind of feels rushed in the third act um would be my major criticism um which i've seen from other places as well um yeah it just kind of ends kind of quickly i feel like in my perfect world it would have ended just before the third act and we would get a second film um but you know it is what it is um but yeah i think fantastic visual feast it needs to be seen on the big screen um the only other critique there's like some weird audio cues uh, which is there's like at one point they use like a licensed song that kind of at least for me and buddy it kind of pulled us out of the movie um which is really weird because the the film is scored by Hans Zimmer. So I'm not sure why, why that song needed to be used at that point. It didn't really add anything. And it was like kind of mixed in a weird way. Um, at least in my screening, in my, maybe it was an issue with the screening, but I can't imagine how it could be. Um, but yeah, I think really interesting ideas, um, really engaging performances, um, yeah, just it, I I don't think it's wholly original. It's like a kind of a beautiful melting pot of different ideas from different properties and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I would highly recommend checking it out. Do you have any other? Do you have any questions about the creator? No, I'm watching it tonight. So, <laughs> all right, very exciting. I'm going to. I'm. We'll be there. What's the time now? I'll be there in about five and a half hours. Okay. Good. Come. Uh, yeah, it's definitely one I'm excited to see, have people see, and we can talk about it, because, yeah, there's a lot of interesting concepts and ideas, and, uh, yeah. I'm very keen. I, I really, really like Gareth Edwards, and, like, I was 
the fact he's taken so long to make another film after Rogue One, it's been, I was like, fuck, just come on, dude. But, um, yeah. And like something like very original, like, or like not based on anything, which is like very, very uncommon at this scale. I've loved all the trailers to this. I've been very keen to watch it. So, no, keen. All right. Uh, so I watched the documentary, the Academy Award nominated documentary, All the Blue, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, uh, which fo- focuses on the photographer, artist, and activist Nan Golden. Uh, so she was a very prominent figure in the um, photograph, the art worlds uh, of, of New York City during the uh, I don't know the eighties, nineties, um, but uh, she's had her issues with uh, opioids uh, later in life. Um, she managed to get over them, but then has kind of joined this vendetta against <laughs> the Sackler family, who are the ph- behind the pharmaceutical company that like produced I a lot of the opioids. We've talked about this before. I mean, everything comes back to this family <laughs> and this and in Oxycontin and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so she's part of this organization called Pain, who are like. Um, very against their sacklers, but mostly what they do is they go to different museums and galleries and that kind of stuff and like stage protests and like kind of raise awareness about how these institutions are taking money from the sackler family, um, putting their names up on the wings and kind of like it's uh, kind of like art washing, I guess would be the term if sports washing is the term they use, like the Saudis like using money to make themselves look good by investing in sport. Um, and yeah, they'd kind of stage these dramatic, like, things. Like, there's one inside the the Met, I want to say, off the top of my head, where it's like they throw, like, a bunch of prescriptions or fake prescriptions out, like, over the 10 stories. The giant corset, I don't know. There's, like, a section where, like, they'd throw up a bunch of prescriptions and all the prescriptions, like, kind of float down and, like, looks cool <laughs> for social media and that kind of stuff. And then obviously they like stage, like everybody's dead and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it also goes over her career and like what, how she came to be prominent, um, all the people in her movements and like how she was like, uh, she was doing, uh, art shows in support of like AIDS, people with AIDS and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, Nan Golden, really interesting person, and like she's got a really interesting backstory, uh, and also you know fuck the Sackler family is like the general gist of it. Um, yeah, and they kind of hit hard home for like how this family is pretty much getting away with murdering millions and millions of people with their drugs and that kind of stuff. But they can take these small victories of like not letting them like plaster their name everywhere and that kind of stuff. So. Very interesting documentary. I would recommend checking it out. That is currently playing on Doc Play. Uh, and then I watched Sitting in Bars with Cake. <laughs> uh, so this is a film over on Prime Video starring Yara Shahidi uh, and Odessa Azion as two young women who moved to New- Los Angeles Uh Corinne and Jane. Corinne works at a, like, music label uh, trying to get, like, do different label, get different label stuff done. I don't know. Like, promotions. Try to work way up the company. 
uh, Jane is uh, kind of an introvert. She works in the mailroom um, in between jobs and like hope telling her family that she's going to go to law school. She's just saving up money and like trying to figure out where she wants to go and that kind of stuff. Um, so to get Corinne gets comes up with the idea uh, to let Jane make Jane is very into baking. So Corinne's like, hey, let's just go to bars and bring cake. You make a cake, we'll bring it to bars. And we'll do it for a whole year and see uh, if they can get you a boyfriend or whatever. Uh, so yeah, they go about that. Unfortunately, halfway through this experiment, uh, Corinne starts to get, well, she gets cancer. So then it becomes cancer story. <laughs> I found it, like, it's not the fan best cancer movie I've ever seen, but it is quite in, like endearing and enjoyable. Like I found Sorry, the characters. <laughs> it's not the best cancer movie I've ever it's seen. Not, you know, that's a fifty-fifty. I love fifty-fifty. Okay. Um, but yeah, I found it enjoyable and like I, I really connected with the characters and like just you know, just these young people kind of being struck down by this disease and like trying to the struggle of trying to fight this disease while also trying to live like a normal-ish life uh and balance that kind of stuff um was really you know interesting to watch and like there's her family unit as well who are from out of state and that kind of stuff and like um yeah It, it was an interesting watch not high on my list so far this year but yeah that one's playing on Prime Video. Let's move into the mandatory Netflix segment of the show. Dylan, you finished watching Search Education Season 4. Uh, I have not started yet, so uh, give me your spoiler-free thoughts on how you feel the season concluded. All right, full spoilers. They all died by the end. Um, oh, no! <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Was it dehydration can... from all the, all the wanking? filling a bunch of cylinders sure um yeah i really enjoyed it i feel like um like all these sorts of shows some people i can i'm gonna like some people are just gonna hate it because not all the characters are gonna end up the way they want them to and you know there's always gonna be that well fuck there's still like so much room for another season and you know like you know there's there's just gonna be all these sorts of things but i definitely feel like for the most part, uh, the majority of the characters got very good endings for this show. And especially a show that was about teenagers growing up to become adults. You know what I mean? For the most part. Like, we're not going to follow them through until they're fucking 80, you know? At a certain stage, you got to let them, let the characters go. <laughs> um, and yeah, there was some really surprising characters that got way more time and like such interesting arcs that i wouldn't have guessed especially if you went back to the first season um and some others that i i feel like didn't get enough time but i'm sorry to tell you about spoilers but yeah obviously i talked about last week i was enjoying it still enjoyed it right through to the end but um it's definitely a bittersweet ending because it's that whole thing of that's it we're done no more Mm. sex education yeah all right um so I watched Love at First Sight. So this is a romantic comedy starring uh, Haley Lou Richardson and Ben Hardy. Uh, Haley Lou Richardson plays Hadley, 
a 20 something from America going back, going to London to uh, attend her father's second wedding. Um, unfortunately, she has a habit of being late and uh, not charging her phone, uh, which becomes a prominent feature. Um, meanwhile, Ben Hardy plays uh, Oliver, who's a British math student, uh, very into statistics and, like, you know, the very opposite of, like, being very unpunctual and, like, prepared for a future and that kind of stuff. Uh, and they, by chance, meet in the airport, uh, and then a series of, like, events kind of force them to be sitting next to each other in first class for the plane trip to London. Um, uh, and yeah, it's love at first sight, kind of, you know. It's a story about fate and love and that kind of stuff. I found they're very charming. It's a very charming movie. Um, yeah, the two leads are really good. Um, it does take an interesting turn at one point when it's revealed what Oliver is going back to London for. Um, and yeah, it it did go in directions that I didn't think it would go in because obviously some of the advertising was like the big turning point is. Oliver gives her phone, gives his phone number to her as they're going through customs. But wouldn't you know it, her phone goes dead and she doesn't save the phone number. So how are they going to find each other again? And you think that's going to be the rest of the movie. They're not going to see each other until the very end. That would be what you would expect for this kind of movie, right? That's not the direction this goes. So I was pleasantly surprised by that because I feel like they've got really good chemistry and that kind of stuff. So I didn't want to wait an entire film to see them back together again um the only other thing is uh jamila jamil is in this as the narrator slash uh a figure of fate who constantly is pushing these two to get towards each other so he just sure. pops up as like their hostess or uh cab driver or you know that kind of thing um yeah Sounds i found like a very valentine's day like hallmark movie yeah kind of but you know that love is for any time of the year Dylan is what I think no it's only October it's only time for Halloween no fill your October with love this season no fill it with blood don't don't need anything scary (laughs) uh... love is scary Ash what are you talking about wow it's steep (laughs) let's do a love horror movie (laughs) fill that one right inside you you know (laughs) <laughs> oh. Alright. Um I then watched the second season of the Murdoch Murders. Now, a Southern Scandal. So uh Oh wait, I watched the first episode of this. I forgot to check in. Okay. <laughs> I watched something. So it's surprising because obviously the first season released back in February. Um yes. But then the trial actually occurred. And that's pretty much what this document this second season covers. It covers the events of the trial, uh, interviews with a few more like key witnesses, uh, including like their like I'm guessing people they couldn't interview before the trial, otherwise like they would have like yeah, there's uh, like a mess with the mess with the yeah, you can't like you're not supposed to or whatever. The trial needs to be free, you know, like yeah, like whatever. the jury jury needs to be yeah. non influenced by yeah, 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 outside stuff. So, um, but yeah. Definitely continues to paint that the Murdoch dude killed his family. <laughs> mm. um, 
they provide a lot of evidence as to why it seems that way. Um, even like early on, the police are like, I'm pretty sure this kid, this guy just killed his family. It's like that's the only explanation. Um, but yeah, it it definitely goes into detail explaining like following the court case and that kind of stuff. So, what do you think after one episode? Like, I was enjoying the one episode. I um, I yeah, I, de- I definitely was like, wait, I saw it pop up on Netflix and I was like, wait, didn't this just come out like two months ago? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> sort of crazy, but. Um. Yeah, getting into the trial, it's got a different pace and everything to the first season because obviously I feel like the first season focuses mostly around the kid up until like the last couple episodes. Um, but it yeah, kind so of focuses from, on the the boat accident. The boat thing is the what hooks you in, and you think the whole show is going to be about that. Um, but then yeah, obviously you get into the stuff with the dad and like obviously we're spoiling the first season, but this then the the kid who the boat accident he's killed so. Um, yeah, and then all that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, keen to keep watching it. How many episodes? It's only like three episodes, isn't it? Three episodes, yeah. Yeah, so I only got two. They're all reasonably short, I want to say, like, the first one's like 40 30 minutes, minutes each. Whatever, so. yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, and then I also watched the documentary, The Saint of Second Chances. Um, so this is a documentary about this, uh, Mark Vick. So he's the son. He's the son of a former MLB franchise owner, Bill Vick, who had like a Hall of Fame career as an owner, uh, much beloved, um, like helped bring the game to become the heights that it did. Um, my Bill Bill Vick buys the Chicago White Sox, and he just he tells his son Mike that he's going. He wants him to come on board as part of the team, uh, and help him run the Chicago White Sox. So he becomes part of the marketing team. He does a bunch of odd, odd jobs. Um, uh, the documentary is, is interviews with Mark Vec, but then it's also flashbacks, uh, flashbacks in which uh, Mark Vec is played by Charlie Day. <laughs> um, so you get Charlie Day, do, like, uh, you know, around what uh, baseball places and that kind of stuff. Um, so the big turning point is Mike Vec holds. Uh, so one of the big draws is like theme days for baseball games and that kind of stuff. So they, they had like a disco day, uh, and that was a big event. Uh, but apparently, at the time, uh, there was a very heavy anti-disco movement. So like, hey, let's have a disco sucks night. Um. So they have like a bunch of people come into the, <laughs> to the stadium who hate disco. Uh, they can come in for one dollar if they bring in a disco record to get destroyed. Was the promotion? So now the stadium is filled with like twenty thousand anti <laughs> anti disco hooligans, um, riled, who get riled up by like a radio presenter who's like a big deal big deal in chicago whatever against disco in the end they all end up storming the field between matches apparently it's like a double header um and this is like a massive farce across the competition and like um from that point uh bill beck retires sells the team mike beck gets fired um and doesn't get a shot in baseball again till like five six later six later uh, when he gets hired to work as uh, work in the independent baseball scene, uh, so he start 
he works on oh, I can't forget what the team is called. It's the yeah. So he starts working for a an independent uh, baseball team called the Saint Paul Saints, who are like tiny, tiny team. The baseball field is next to a train track, um, but he starts like promotion and like starts to get the team off the off the off the tracks. Like starts to make him a big deal, like him to the extent where like um, they had Bill Murray becomes a prominent feature and comes in and does different things every now and then. At one point, they hired they had Daryl Strawberry as part of the team. Um, in between his like massive drug stinks. He was a big. I don't know Daryl Strawberry that much. All I know he was in that one episode of The Simpsons when they were playing baseball. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it follows his career and like wh- how he went from like the darkest day in his life to like getting falling back in love with baseball and like uh, also dealing with his family and his uh, his two kids, one of his children who uh, does get diagnosed with like a a medical issue and like um, how that affects him and like his plans and that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, really interesting movie. Uh, really interesting dude. Uh, I'll leave you this last bit of information. He has one son. He names his son Night Train. Like one word or? No, two words. <laughs> <laughs> just to clarify, you know? Yeah, just to clarify. Yeah. Just not- but yeah, that's the kind of dude he was. So, <laughs> definitely worth checking out on Netflix. Uh, the Saint of Second Chances, really interesting documentary. Before I forget, I want to talk about Heels. No, not Second season yet. came out. Season finale came out. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good season finale. Um, obviously, the show has since been cancelled. Um which is a real bummer because it does end on a cliffhanger. Um, I guess you could consider it like a series finale, but it's like a very dark season finale. <laughs> series finale like leaves it in a terrible place. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been interesting to see kind of the reaction to the show being cancelled and like everybody kind of like jumping on Stephen Amell because obviously, you know, he made remarks early on in the strike and that kind of stuff um, and promoted the show when he probably shouldn't have um, which in, you know, now that we see, like, <laughs> it was kind of, it was very much, a show very much on the bubble. Um, you understand why he might have been motivated in that way, but you also got to remember there's a bunch of other cast members and writers and that kind of stuff who were on the show as well, like, who are now all fired, so, I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, he can, you can make the argument all you want that the show like, if you want to, you can live in reality and he can go through, anyone that worked on the show can go through life saying, oh, if it wasn't for the strike, then it wouldn't have got cancelled because we would have mm-hmm. been able to promote it. But the fact is, the first season, if you look at the numbers, didn't do that well either. So it's not like, mm. like, it, it was just on, it was just scraping in for the second season. And yeah, you can say the strike affected it, but ultimately, as much as I enjoy, I like, like the show, it's nothing mind-blowing and strikes more important than the than heels i'm sorry yeah i guess yeah uh but yeah it, it's kind of it is disappointing seeing the number of shows that have also been cancelled during this period like um just because you know it seems like we're on the cusp of it all ending so i mean that's what kind of hurts more i guess 
And also the decision the being made so quickly. The Drew Barrymore thing. Oh, People yeah. have been like, she just needed to wait a week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So that's everything I watched this year. Let's move into the film news. Uh, and yeah, so the big news, uh, the WGA strike is officially ended at midnight as Gilded's approved tentative deal uh, running from deadline. The writer's strike will officially is will be officially over at 12.01 a.m. Wednesday. Writers can then return to work with the ramification process plays out if on the off chance that the members reject the tentative agreements. That has worked out on Sunday. The strike will start back up again. The strike will be then be the longest in the Guild's history, surpassing the 150-day strike of 1988. Here is the latest message from the negotiating team sent to members. As we reported on Sunday, the WGA reached a tentative agreement with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers on a new three-year minimum basic agreement. The day our negotiating committee, the WGAW board and WGAE board, all voted unanimously to recommend the agreement. It will now go to both the Guild's membership for a ratification vote. Eligible voters will receive ballot and materials for the vote, which will take place from October 2nd to October 9th. Uh, so, yeah, it looks like the writer's strike is coming to an end. Officially. Just Officially. in time for the game actors to start. Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, this doesn't mean that the, the actors aren't on strike anymore. They are. Uh, they still haven't come to an agreement, but it seems like the AMTP is going to make... Uh, they're pretty confident there'll be some sort of negotiation sometime this in the next couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, finally, good moves. And it seems like if they're agreeing to this deal, a lot of the things that they wanted, like protections against AI and like mm. um, uh, writers' rooms and that kind of stuff, like it was all kind of addressed at the very least and like maybe they didn't get everything they wanted but fine more. we'll let real people write things yeah we'll let people actually do stuff it's crazy and credit them and that kind of stuff so i know what i was talking about ai just quickly i don't know what i can't remember what it was from but there's like something that bloomberg or someone put up today some ai thing that like just like they've like put a bunch of um Someone like was delving into the files, and it looks like this AI thing that they've set up. Um, they've just like got a bunch of torrents of books and just put and fed that into the AI system. And now all these authors are like, "I didn't like authorize you to use my yeah. book to feed this AI. Like, why do you think that's so? Yeah, you didn't even buy it. <laughs> yeah, you didn't even buy it. Like, so the AI stuff continues. Yeah." Say our technology is stealing and stealing, uh, but yeah, it's exciting. Will it make an major, huge, uh, impact immediately? Probably not. Um, as they've probably as they've been reported, probably the first thing that's going to come back is like the late night shows and and the talk shows like the Drew Barrymore show, <laughs> um, coming back not with actors and that kind of stuff promoting stuff, but you know at least talking about the news and uh. You know, promoting other stuff. So, uh, you know, that at least will be a bunch of people getting back to work and that kind of stuff and being able to pay for things. So that's exciting. Um, maybe we get more writers on the promotional trail for these movies. I don't know. Um, but yeah, hopefully this means this has all come to an end. 
the f- I was looking for a bunch of like I was going through and fixing up some podcast stuff today, and I was going through a bunch of the old "What Do You Want to Watch" episodes, right? And the funniest thing that occurred to me when I was like looking through them all and just seeing like the descriptions was there was a like f- we've been doing this show for like how many years? Like four, five, five, four, five years, and like half the episodes are either talking about a strike or COVID. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> like there is several years of. Hey man, there's no movies coming out because of COVID, and now half this year has been just talking about the strike. Strikes, yeah. It's quite funny. Like, yeah. <laughs> At least we don't have to worry about this for another three years. So. I know it's just so <laughs> funny. I was looking for, I was like, holy fuck! Like so many episodes. I mean, like, like such a big part of this show's history is just marred by <laughs> like, like shit shutting down Hollywood and cinemas and stuff. It's kind of, it's funny. Yeah. Alright, uh, viewers of Landmark series on Prime Video like The Boys or Marvelous Mrs. Maisel will soon be offered something never made available on the service before. TV commercials. Amazon Prime Video, one of the last mainstream services to eschew from the injection of regular commercial breaks into its movies and shows, plans to start letting them run early next year. Warner Brothers follows a host of other streaming hubs, including Disney+, Plus, Netflix, and Warner Brothers Discovery's Max, uh, that also offered... Ad supporter titles, a move that suggests the world of streaming may just eventually mirror the world of traditional television in the not too distant future. Uh, the company says its plans to run fewer ads on Amazon Prime Video than traditional broadcasters or broadband rivals. Four minutes per an hour seems to be a benchmark for the lowest amount of ad time on a streaming platform. Uh, the commercials will first appear in the US, UK, Germany, and Canada in early 2024, followed by France, Italy, Spain, Mexico, and Australia later in the year. Those who want to keep Amazon Prime Video ad-free can still do so for an additional $2.9 per month in the US on top of the annual subscription to Amazon's overall Prime service. Uh, Dylan, here's my, here's my take. I don't think this is a big deal. You get so much what? value with Prime, your Prime subscription. An extra $5 to get ad-free Prime videos I don't think is too much of an ask or to watch a couple of minutes of ads. Am I in the minority here? You're crazy. This is an outrage. Okay. I think we need to get our pitchforks out. Okay. This is bullshit. I can't yeah. do this. You're telling me that like I have to pay an extra couple of dollars for the streaming service when I was already paying for the, the thing just to get free <laughs> shipping. That's I can't. I can't do that. Yeah, that's it's it's unacceptable value. <laughs> no, look, Amazon's a pretty shitty company, but I got to be. I, I definitely feel like uh, Prime's a Prime's definitely worth the value, and an extra five bucks is nothing. What it is, like especially in the way that I presume you use most of its features, like I do, which is well, I got Twitch. I use that feature. Yeah. I use the shipping, and that pays for itself. Like I, I mean, Twitch buy... probably helping keep the exposure network alive. <laughs> yeah, so that and that. Um, I should I have to buy a couple things a year, and the shipping already gets back to the fifty bucks or whatever. Like mm-hmm. covers it pretty quickly. Um, and then you add in the fact that you get the streaming service. I've, I've always thought it's like pretty good value. So this is not an issue. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know what people want. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, I understand having to pay more for something you already have. Um, but you know the rate that Amazon is investing in Prime Video and the amount of content that they're putting out 
um, series and shows and movies and that kind of stuff, I think it justifies, um, you know, the increase. Uh, at least they, at least it's just not like we're raising the price because we can. It's like, hey, we're giving you the option. You can pay more, or you can like have to deal with ads. You know. So, uh, yeah, look forward to that later next year. Um, you know, plan accordingly. Uh, last bit of interesting news is the latest endeavor by the Golden Globes to become relevant again. Uh, the Golden Globes will announce the Golden Globes will introduce two new categories to its upcoming January broadcast. Variety is learned exclusively. The categories will honor hit movies with global reach in either box office or streaming views, as well as acknowledge the best performance in a stand-up comedy special. The first prize is the Golden Globe for Cinematic and Box Office Achievement. Eligible nominees will be among the year's highest earning or most seen feature films that also deliver creative excellence. Titles must have grossed at least $150 million during release, $100 million of which must have come from domestic box office. Streaming films with uh, commensurate viewership will be considered based on data from recognized industry sources, the Globe said. Eight films will be eligible for the prize and can also compete for the categories like Best Motion Picture Drama or Comedy as long as they meet criteria for those fields. Uh, the second new category, Best Performance in a Stand-Up Comedy on Television, recognizes outstanding work from a comic in a traditional stand-up format or as a breakout comic in a triple ensemble. Comedy specials airing on a broadcast basic or premium cable streaming and pay-per-view cable will be considered. Projects must be recognized must have a recognized distributor and individual social media accounts will not be eligible. Uh, Dylan, what did you think of this move by the Golden Globes? Uh, I don't feel like it's too... For what for what they've been trying to do for... In a world where we were, like, there was a stage where, like, where everyone was trying to not get any of the streaming stuff nominated, right? Yeah. Like, Golden Globes wasn't going to play ball. Academy Award wasn't going to play ball. Now they've like, I feel like most of the people are like fiddling down with the rules to make them more applicable. Like the, the, the thing is that every, they're, they're constantly trying to, to make the, the, it's not, they're not trying to keep streaming stuff out. Cause they think none of these places have ever tried to keep streaming stuff out because it's streaming. It's just that how it was affecting everyone else or yeah. your normal stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't feel like this is a big deal. I mean, it's a clear move to try and get, like, the biggest movies nominated, you know? Which is funny in a year where the biggest movies probably would have been nominated. Like, Barbie is going to get nominated mm. in, a in a comedy category. Uh, it is, uh, um, Interstellar? Not Interstellar. Uh, <laughs> Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer? Oppenheimer is going to get nominated. Uh, in best drama, so I think you know, maybe future proofing itself again. Itself, um, trying actually, I'm gonna have a quick look. What technically would be eligible, uh, currently? Like, how many movies are actually eligible under this criteria? Uh, probably a lot more than you think. 17 movies that have crossed that 100 million mark. So, yeah. Look forward to Sound of Freedom being nominated for a Golden Globe. 
Sound mm-hmm. of Freedom and uh, Little Mermaid. <laughs> All right. Um, also, also interesting that they included stand-up comedians. Like maybe you know. I mean, making that I've a always, category. Um, I've always thought that there was enough that someone should probably do. Yeah. I mean, we get enough specials every year. That yeah, we get enough specials. It's like, why not reward? And it's not just the because the, they put more and more effort. A lot. Most people are putting more and more effort into adding, you know, a little bit more production value. Be that recordings and some of those interlude stuff and whatever into their specials nowadays, which isn't exactly a new thing. But like, I see, I feel like I see that stuff more now, um, in specials. So, yeah, um, yeah, why not? All right, let's move into giving some thumbs to trailers. Of course, you can find all the trailers we're about to talk about in the show notes below. Kicking things off, we've got All of Us Strangers, directed by Andrew Haig, starring Andrew Scott, Paul Mescal, Jamie Bell, and Claire Foy. One night in his near-empty tower block in London, Adam has a chance encounter with the mysterious neighbor Harry, which punctuates, punctures the rhythm of his everyday life. As the relationship develops between them, Adam is preoccupied with memories of his past and finds himself drawn back to the suburban town where he grew up and the childhood home where his parents appear to be living just as they were on the day they died 30 years before. Dylan, what do you think of this trailer? I'm going one up, one down on this one. I've been keen to find out more about this movie as the, the whatever film festival it was at, it was highly talked about. Um, I like the cast and everything like that, but I did find the trailer to be a little bit just confusing, just not particularly interesting. Like it's lots of really well shot moments and things and whatever else, but, um, it wouldn't grab me if I wasn't someone who, uh, was already like reading about it. You know what I mean? So I'm going to go one up, one down. Yeah, I agree. I think one up, one down is fair. Um, yeah, there's a lot there, and the very little is explained or <laughs> alluded to. Um, yeah, looks like it's an interesting film, obviously, with the game romance at the heart of it. That's really cool. Um, but yeah, there's like, there's a whole fantastical element to it that is not vibing with the, the present day love story. Or maybe it will when it's actually in the movie, but I don't think it's cut together very well, you know. Yeah, it's interesting one. So yeah, this is coming to Australian cinemas on the 18th of January. Next trailer, NCIS Sydney, created by Morgan O'Neill, starring Olivia Swan, Todd LaSance, uh, Sean Sager, Tully Narkle, Maureen Hazel, and William McInnes. With rising international tensions in the Indo-Pacific, a team of US NCIS agents and the Australian Federal Police are grafted into a multinational task force to keep naval crimes in check in the most contested patch of ocean on the planet. Dylan, what do you think of this localization of NCIS? Uh, Double thumbs down, looks terrible, absolutely atrocious trailer. There's a moment there where they literally just shoot between shots of a kangaroo and a beach to a koala. Um, get the fuck out of here. No. <laughs> uh, over one, one down, you know. Because you like bad jobs. television shows, yeah. Um, I have absolutely no interest really in watching it, uh, but NCIS is one of those crazy. They bloody locked houses. him in a. They locked him in a thing with a poisonous they snake. They locked mate. him in with the most poisonous, poisonous snake. Poisonous snake, 
It's like, oh, welcome to Australia. Welcome to Australia, <laughs> I mean, mate. That happens all the I mean, time. <laughs> it's clearly not targeted at an Australian audience. Uh, it may not be the rest, best representation of Australia. Uh, but, you know, it, it looks pretty. It looks high production value. Uh, really good shots of the harbour. And, you know, I did laugh when they, they've got, they do have like a shot of koala. Then they go to something else and then they have a shot of like a cockatoo <laughs> and then a galah. It's very funny. Uh, so yeah, this is one on one now. So me, funny. But, uh, so funny. You know, this is a hit franchise, you know, yeah. take what you can get. Uh, so this is coming to Paranat Plus on the 10th of November. Next trailer is for Finger Nows, directed by Christos Niku, starring Jesse Buckley, Riz Ahmed, Jeremy Allen White's Annie Murphy and Luke Wilson. Uh, Anna and Ryan have found true love and it's proven by a controversial new technology. But there's one problem, as Anna still isn't sure. Then she takes a position at a love testing institute and meets Amir. Uh, Dylan, what do you think of this trailer? The funniest thing about this, as someone pointed out in the comments, is the part where they're like, Academy Award nominee, Golden Globe winner, blah, 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 and Luke Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm going to go double thumbs up on this one. Uh, it looks, definitely looks interesting. It sort of does remind me a little bit of, although not quite the same, but does remind me of, um, the lobster, like the similar, like themes and ideas, not the animal part, but like just picking a partner and like, that's who it is. You got to find someone like the, the world working in this sort of weird way, but I mean, it's got a bunch of really great actors in it and Luke Wilson. So I... <laughs> Why, why are you coming for Luke Wilson like that? It's just so funny the way they watched the, Why'd they do him so dirty like that? Um, yeah, well, what are they going to do? Give him a Critics' Choice Award? Like, they should have just like, put something. something in there just to help soften the blow. Because when it just flashes across the screen and everyone's got an award and it just says, and Luke Wilson. <laughs> Surely he's got something. Like, I don't know. Was he nominated for like... Best employee at Domino's once. I don't know, like. Uh, or just put and American sweetheart. America's MTV favorite. Movie Award nominee. Yeah. There you go. And MTV Movie Award nominee. Why not? Fuck it. Just give the man something. Just give him something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> What I say? The, yeah, really. You didn't say shit. I didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah, um, I give two thumbs up. I, I enjoy the premise. Obviously, fantastic cast. Like, really engaging. Um, the I think the 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 title threw me off. I, I was surprised by the title. Like going in, I'm like, oh, fingernails. That's that's clearly going to be a horror movie. That's going to be a horror movie. <laughs> it's like no, completely different end of the spectrum. Um, but yeah, very wholesome. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a good time. So, uh, this one is coming to, to learn that um, Saw Ten isn't a horror movie either. It's just called. It's actually about a love story as well. Oh, okay. So I'll go check it's actually out. about a guy trying to survive um, his cancer. It's, it's about a guy who are like trying to overcome uh, a botched surgery. Is yeah. that what it is? That's what it's about. Yeah, okay. So I just stop. I would stop judging movies by the titles if I was you. Okay. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll just keep watching trailers like yeah. I usually do. Uh, yeah. So this is coming to Apple TV 
on the 3rd of November. Next trailer, The Kane Mutiny Court Martial, uh, directed by William Friedman, uh, starring Kiefer Sutherland, Jason Clarke, Jake Lacey, Monica Raymond, and Lance Reddick. When a US naval captain shows signs of mental instability that jeopardizes the safety of his ship, the first officer relieves him of command and faces court-martial for mutiny. Greenwald, a skeptic lawyer, reluctantly defends Mark, a officer of the Navy who took control of the vessel while his different, dominant Captain Quig uh, was caught in a violent sea storm. Greenwald becomes increasingly concerned as the court-martial proceeds and questions if, Kane, if the Kane were a true mutiny or simply the courageous acts of a group of sailors that could not trust their unstable leader. Dylan, what do you think of this trailer for William Friedman's final film? William film, Phil, Phil, Friedman and um, Lance Reddick. Um, yeah. Crazy, hey. Um, sort of sad that this is a TV movie, I feel. Yeah. Got so many big actors in it, such talent. This years Look, this is what Martin Scott says he's talking about. Years ago, this would have been yeah. considered a big movie. You got a bunch of big names. Well, it would have been a small movie, but... <laughs> But people would have wanted to watch it still. In cinemas. Like, nowadays, this is the problem. This is what I'm talking about. You go, why would I want to watch a bunch of people talking on the cinema screen? <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, no, very keen. I'm double thumbs up for this. Um, looks really great. I just, I, I, I love, like, you know, when you think about some of the, the greatest films from, like, uh, I don't know, early 50s through to the, the 80s, I guess, through to... Um, uh, you can't handle the truth. Fucking Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, all, all good. Um, all, all good men. men. Yeah. Um, few good men. Few good men. Fuck, what, I got it wrong. Um, yeah, like co- courtroom drama, courtroom, these sorts of movies when done right. And they used to be such a big, big genre, kind of, or at least something of a genre. Man, a Thai TV show. Jack. Yeah. Come on. Uh, so yeah, double thumbs up, King. Yeah, I'm actually going to give this two thumbs up as well. I think it looks really interesting. Um, it's crazy that, you know, Jason Clark again, playing a lawyer <laughs> in a prominent like thing, you know, this one official, I guess. The other one, not official, um, but kind of similar, similar role. Um, but yeah, looks really good. Interesting fact, um, reading up on this movie before. Um, Gilmore Del Toro served as backup director on the film uh, for liability reasons. Uh, because obviously for I think I knew Gordon that. Yeah. was a bit older. So yeah. um, so he was there every single day on set, like yeah. in case he needed to take over or whatever. Because he's uh, a good guy. Is, he's a good guy, but also that would have been wild to imagine him having to take over this, this kind of a film. Why not? Uh, which doesn't feel like it's in his wheelhouse at all, but that's cool. Del Toro does like But I, I, it sounds like for... For Del Toro, it was like a very cool learning experience as well. So um, it sounds like he, from the interviews, he got a lot out of the experience. So. Del Toro is a, a cultured man of cinema. He would have appreciated being there. Yeah. Mm. Just talking to him about X is probably all the time I would imagine. So. Mm. Uh, yeah. So this is going to release in the US on Paramount Plus with Showtime on the 6th of October. No confirmed release date here in Australia. Uh, hang on. Last trailer for this week. Dream Scenario. Directed by Christopher Borgley. 
starring Nicolas Cage, Julianne Nicholson, Michael Sarah, Tim Meadows, Dylan Galua, and Dylan Baker. Hapless family man Paul Matthews finds his life turned upside down when millions of strangers suddenly start seeing him in their dreams. But when his nighttime appearances take a nightmarish turn, Paul is forced to navigate his newfound stardom. Uh, Tillon, what do you think of this trailer for the new Nicolas Cage film? Loved it. Double thumbs up. Uh, what a wild idea. Uh, I don't really know how it's going to all play it out, but I mean, you got Nicholas, you got you got Nicholas Cage, you got him just living probably the the greatest years of his career. I feel like at the moment he had like his his action eighties nineties career, and now he's this this last few years he's just been having all these great character pieces and stuff. Resurgence, like that. resurgence. I absolutely love it. Um, a twenty four. Uh, give it to me. Double thumbs up. Very keen. Such a wild idea. Yeah, this is two thumbs up for me as well. Like like you said, crazy idea. Um, interesting way to go at it where it seems like he's super into the idea of him being in everybody's dreams and is enjoying the new he's stuff. The fan. He's enjoying the fandom. He's enjoying the fandom. His wife, at some point in the trailer, says they're not those sorts of people, but very clearly he Yeah, is. he's clearly caught up into it and then, you know, clearly things start to take a turn towards the end. Um, yeah. I love like some of the random dream sequences. It's like a lady getting attacked by crocodiles, and he just walks in looking. He's like, yep. "What are you gonna do?" <laughs> well, the first few times, it's like he's just in the background walking around, and it seems yeah. the last the stuff towards the end of the trailer, he gets involved, like ch- like attacking he's, people in the dreams. And stuff, yeah, so. and then it gets weird from there. So yeah, uh, yeah, very interested to check this one out. Uh, so it's release in the US on November 10th, no Australian release date. I feel like as soon as you say A24, do we even, do you even need to it's say like, it? It's like, yeah, I'll wait for the Blu-ray to come out, I guess. Be a given. If I get that. All right, let's move into this week's top three. Definitely in the top three. Okay. And in celebration of the creator, which has a bunch of robots this week, we're doing top three movie robots. Dylan, what's your number three? Number three, I've got Mr. Anderson. Mm. Agent Smith from the Matrix franchise is my third pick. Uh, didn't know how literal you wanted to take the robot wording, considering I assumed it was inspired by the creator and they're very smart AIs. I assumed it was a open, uh, yeah, sure. open packing. So yes, Agent Smith, obviously, definitely one of the most, uh, in my mind's, most famous robots in any of all films, you know, some of the classic lines and and stuff like that. So, yeah, start there, number three. My number three is TARS, or T-A-R-S, from Interstellar. Uh, little robot creatures or beings that work with Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. Um, they don't look like any kind of robot you ever see in these like kind of movies. No, but They're they not look like realistic in any way. robots. Yeah, they're like probably what we're going to end up getting yeah. from Boston Dynamics. Yeah, it's like four rectangles all joined together and move. Just a really interesting concept, interesting way in which they move about and like utilize their body parts and that kind of stuff. So yes, delightful. Number three, Tars. Dylan, what's your number two? Uh, my number two. I got to be honest. I, I picked number three really fast, and then my my top two I really struggled with for a while. Uh, my number two, I'm just going to say Terminator. Sorry, I'm just including 
the T eight hundred, the T two thousand, uh, ten thousand, T thousand, whatever it is. Um, any versions of the Terminator is what I'm going with for this one. But predominantly Arnie and the T one thousand from Terminator. Yeah. Uh, but yes, that'll be my number two pick. My number one T eight hundred. I mean, it's a classic. It's it's the one that started the billion dollar franchise. Um, and one that the they've tried to keep chasing <laughs> for have. several years. They've been trying to chase chase the how good uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator Terminator Two were and fails, but uh, you know they tried. They tried their best. Good for them. Dylan, what's your number one? Number one was R two D two. Okay, I had to pick a Star Wars droid. I feel like I could have just like. When I think droids, I think Star Wars. Or when I think robots, I think droids, and I think Star Wars. I guess is my <laughs> my link up there. And R two D two is just simply the cutest, most enjoyable one. Um, C three PO because he talks is annoying. So, <laughs> and R two D two has huge moments. He's been, you know, prequel movies, sequels. Like he, you know, he's an old one. Hmm. Uh, my number two was Wally. Wally wins the cutest robot uh, competition in my mind. I can only put one cute robot, just beating out Baymax as, you know, one and two. Uh, but yeah, Wally, very adorable little creature, just says Wally all the time. Uh, yeah. And he is trying to save the human race. What, what more could you want from a robot? Don't know, I haven't seen it. What? That's a crazy revelation. All right, Dylan, this week, what do you want to watch? The Creator. <laughs> a couple hours. <laughs> um, so that would be my pick for movie. And then TV shows Gen V. Season one starts this week. Yes. Uh, yeah, Gen V is my TV pick. Obviously, the boys spin off, if you don't know, in which, you know, follows a bunch of super-powered teens going to, to a superhero training university. Uh, looks like it's going to be more of the boys <laughs> going for that tone without you know, their cast of characters. So, uh, on the movie front, obviously, you have seen the crowd. It's fantastic. Go check it out. Uh, I'm looking forward to Florence Son, the new John Carney movie that's about to release on Apple TV this week. Um, yeah, looks fantastic. Really cool. So, I'm checking that out on Apple TV Plus on Friday. Let us know what you want to watch this week by going to explosionnetwork.com slash Twitter or jump into Discord at explosion.com slash Discord. If you want to help us out here, what do you want to watch? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. Leave us five stars and you can leave five stars or just tell people about the show. And if you've enjoyed this episode, Thor's worth a dollar, head on over to the Kofi page at explosion.com slash support. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, keep watching stuff, I guess.